I'm grateful to be back after uh, Bernie's wonderful message on forgiveness last week. And if you haven't listened, if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week and you didn't hear it, I would encourage you to go to the website, cornerstonewestford.com, and look that sermon up. Uh, it was very powerful, and uh, God spoke to my heart through it. Um, and so I would encourage you to receive that blessing as well. Today, I want us to each recall to mind a relationship, uh, a specific person that we have trouble with, that we have conflict with, that we bump into perhaps the wrong way. Now, for some of you, you're already thinking of a name. (laughs) You're already thinking of a person, but maybe some of you need a little help. So this could be a family member uh, that just can't seem to get on the same page with. This could be a coworker, a supervisor. Uh, this could be a neighbor, you know, that you, on the other side of the fence, you have some difficulties with. This could be anyone. It uh, could be an immediate family member. And I want you to think of that name. I know it's a little bit awkward, uh, but just have it on your mind. You, if you want to, you can write it down on a piece of paper. I wouldn't do that if they're sitting close by you. <laughs> so hopefully they're, uh, they're not too close, but if you want to, you can write it down. As we go through today's message, I want you to think of that relationship. I want you to think of that name, that person, and be asking God, God, how how is what I'm learning applying to this relationship that I have? I want to honor you in this relationship, but there's, there's conflict, there's disagreement, or it's just a difficult relationship. How can what I'm learning bring you honor? We're going through a sermon series called Conflict and Peacemaking, and we're following, uh, roughly we're following the four G's of peacemaking by Ken Sandy. Uh, uh, He wrote a book on biblical peacemaking, and uh, two weeks ago we went through the first two G's, glorify God and get the log out of your own eye. So I want you to think of that relationship, kind of review through these steps, glorify God. In your own heart, I hope that you will take a moment and say, I want to, from this point forward, glorify God with this relationship, with this person that I keep bumping into, with this name, even if yesterday or the day before I blew it. From today forward, I want to seek to honor God. I want want that to be my mission. G2, get the log out of your own eye. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to take some time and review the relationship, review the conflict, and try to see it through the other person's eyes. Why don't you get along? Look through it at, through their eyes and try to understand. And if there are ways that you are sinning, confess those to the Lord. You can go back and listen to the message if that helps. Today we're at Gently Restore. Our topic this week is about going to the person and having a conversation. So hopefully, by the end of this message, you will know if you should go to them and then how to go to them. So we're going to get into that right now, but first I want to say a prayer. Father, it's difficult to recall to mind those names, uh, those relationships that we experience conflict with, that we experience difficulties, uh, especially because conflict creates hurt, and it hurts to, to think of those people. But we know this hurt does not take you by surprise. We know that you have placed these people in our lives. So would you help us to learn something today and to, Lord willing, foster a good relationship with them, a relationship that really does glorify God. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, we're looking at two texts today. Uh, We're looking at two texts, uh, and the first text, uh, Matthew chapter 5, really explains what to do if someone feels like you have sinned against them. So it is a two-way street here. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus addresses hate. He addresses anger, and, uh, and he, he, he does so by quoting the Old Testament law. Remember, we just went through the Ten Commandments. Well, he says, well, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but I tell you. So Jesus is not you know, getting rid of the old law and creating a new one. He is instead, he is deepening our understanding of what God really intends with this Old Testament law. And he says this, so he's revealing God's true standard. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, he says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of fire of hell. So Jesus, right here, and this comes right before the text that Alan read. Jesus here is saying, hate on the inside is as dangerous as hate acted out. That, that the, the, the feelings and the thoughts that we process internally can be just as sinful as those things that we do externally. And so in the context, it helps us understand that, well, if someone is angry at me and they're thinking things like, you're a fool or a raka. Raka uh, is, a, is an Aramaic term. It means like empty or idiot. <laughs> so if someone is thinking these kinds of thoughts about you, well, that puts them at spiritual risk, doesn't it? And so when we don't address these issues and they continue to be upset or mad at us, they continue to sin. And we don't want people to continue to sin. That doesn't glorify God. That's not good for them. And so we need to go to them and address it. If they're speaking behind our back, let's deal with it. And so what the passage tells us is that we should go and and seek reconciliation with the one you've offended the one I've offended. Matthew 5, 23 through 24 says, therefore, so the therefore points back to the verses we just read, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now Jesus wants his audience to imagine a story. Jesus is, is giving the 10 commandments uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, which really is kind of the law reframed for us. Uh, and Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount in Galilee. And there are many different people there, but he's about 70 miles away. And he wants us to imagine perhaps someone from Galilee. Let's say a man and his family. They have decided, you know what, we're going to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple is, and it's about 70 miles away. And we're going to give a special free will offering. Now, a free will offering is not one of those required offerings that the law said you need to do multiple times a year. That God is saying, you have to give me this. This is just, well, you know, I received a, a great big harvest, so I'm going to give God a little bit more. I'm going to give him a calf or a lamb or a goat. 
So this is a special thing. So this man and his family, they travel all the way from Galilee down to Jerusalem, down to the temple. And they get to the temple and they're excited. Maybe they brought a lamb with them. That's probably a long ways to bring a, a cow uh, or, or a goat or a sheep. Maybe they buy it there at the temple complex. We know that there was a, like a market there in Jesus' day. So let's say they buy it there and they, they go up to the priest and the, the father goes to the furthest court before the court of the priest and he gives it to a priest and says, here, we want this to be sacrificed and they go through the requirements. Well, as he's handing over the calf, the Holy Spirit just strikes him and says, well, do you remember? Do you remember the, the disagreement and the conflict that you got into back in Galilee uh, during the harvest season, your neighbor and you, well, you got into a heated argument about whose wheat belonged to who and where the property stopped. And although you won the argument, your neighbor felt cheated by you. Your neighbor is still angry at you today, isn't he? Well, Jesus is teaching that man is to, to stop, to stop the offering, go all the way back to Galilee, 70 miles, <laughs> And talk with him, talk with his neighbor, get right with his neighbor, and then come back and give the offering, give the sacrifice. That's, uh, that's a lot of miles. I'm not good at math, so I'm not going to try to figure that out. Jesus here is really serious about reconciling with people that we're in disagreement with, that we especially have offended now, reconciliation means to make peace. Jesus wants us to experience these peace in our relationships, especially with brothers and sisters in him. Notice that reconciliation is more important than religion, than going through the motions, than you know, doing all the right religious acts. Notice that it doesn't matter if it's inconvenient. <laughs> Maybe the man's neighbor, I'm sure he was hoping, oh man, my neighbor, I hope he's in Jerusalem, that I won't have to travel as far. Jesus is saying, you need to get right with the person that you have offended, even if it's inconvenient. Now notice, the passage also doesn't say whether or not the man is guilty, that he actually did something wrong, or if he's innocent. It doesn't matter whether he knows of his exact sin, of what he exactly did wrong, or not. It just says that he's to go and to get right, whether it's right or wrong. So we need to take, back, uh, take a step back for a moment and apply this to the name, to the person that is on your mind, that you're in conflict with. Do they feel like you know, you have wronged them, that, that you have sinned against them. Now, if the person you have unintentionally, perhaps intentionally hurt, is a fellow Christian, so this passage is, is written, Jesus says brothers or sisters, so he's, he's writing primarily to Christians, so we're going to look at them first. Jesus says that seeking reconciliation, seeking to heal that relationship should be our top priority. That we should get on it as quickly as possible. That it should supersede those other things on your calendar. So it's more important than, in our context than religious acts. <laughs> Getting right with someone you're in conflict is more important than you know, making sure that you're at church. 
Getting right with someone you're in conflict with is more important than giving your tithes and offerings. Getting, uh, getting right with someone that you are in conflict with is more important than making that ministry team meeting, that volunteer meeting, or even going to small group. It's your top priority because God cares about reconciliation between people more than he cares about our religious acts. If you're thinking of a name, what does that mean for you? If this is a fellow brother or sister in Christ that attends this church, I want to encourage you. Tonight, after the service, try to get right with them. Have a conversation or schedule a time that you can both sit down and have a conversation. Make it your your goal to, to have that difficult conversation before next Saturday, before our next worship service, because to Jesus, that's the priority. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge for all of us. Now, if this person that you're thinking of is not a believer, is not a Christian, I still think there are many principles that we can take and that reconciliation should be a top priority. We can still approach the one that, that, that we've offended intentionally or unintentionally humbly, depending on Christ with lots of prayer, and apologize and say, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. And have a conversation. Maybe they'll ask why, and it will give you an opportunity to share, well, you know, I heard God's word, and I was listening to the Bible, and well, I've received forgiveness from Christ, and so, you know, I feel like I should come and make sure that our relationship is good. Go and seek reconciliation with the one you've offended. Now, our second passage Matthew chapter 18, so we're transitioning from Matthew chapter 5, which speaks to us offending. What if someone has offended us, has sinned against us, or even sinned against God? Well, Matthew chapter 18, you can look in your Bible. I'm going to read it. And in this passage, we see five steps that help us understand how to address a sin that's against us personally. And maybe that person that you're thinking of has just kind of hurt you over and over and over again. And this is a great passage to go through and to, to really wrestle with. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now this passage, I think it begins uh, with step two. Step two, going to your brother or sister who sins. But I believe there's another step in there. Step one. Now, Ken Sandy, he gives these five steps I've adapted a little bit. And the first step begins with four questions. So the step one is to overlook minor offenses. I hope that when we finish this sermon series, you won't be like going to just everyone that you've had a, a little thing with and, and getting into a disagreement. That's not what I'm trying to do at all. And so how can we determine if something is a minor offense against us? There's four questions. Is it dishonoring to God? 
are those that have seen your conflict perhaps with this other person or, or seen their sin? Are, 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 are those people saying poor things of Christ? Well, that person is a Christian. <laughs> are they thinking poorly of God? Number two, is it, is it damaging your relationship? Ken writes, if you are unable to forgive an offense, so this is you personally, if you're unable to forgive an offense, whatever this person has done against you, that is your feelings, thoughts, words, or actions towards another person have been altered for more than a short period of time, the offense is probably too serious to overlook. So if you can't get over it, you need to have a conversation. Number three, is it hurting others? Is it damaging others physically? emotionally. Perhaps it's hurting the immediate relationships in your family as, as uh, you know, you're so overwhelmed that you're lashing out at those around you. Well, then you need to deal with the issue. Perhaps others are being led astray from faith in Jesus by what's happening. We need to deal with it. Number four, is it hurting the offender Is it harming them physically or spiritually? Now, I want us to notice that this shifted a little bit. It shifted from just an issue between me and the person to an issue between me and the person and God. Our passage today says, if your brother or sister sins, many of the early translations of the Bible here actually disagree about the exact interpretation. Our NIV says, if your brother or sister sins, but some of them say, if your brother or sister sins against you. Now this one's the if your brother or sister sins, is probably the correct one. It's a, a little bit older. The older manuscripts have it. But I still think it encounters, it encapsulates both. It encapsulates whether the sin is against us directly Perhaps if the sin is against God. See, God is calling us to deal with the conflict that's horizontal, but that's also vertical. And so if we do see a brother or sister who perhaps we're not in direct conflict with, but we can see that they're in conflict with God, God calls us as their sibling to love them and to go and have a conversation as well. I wanted to share like a personal story, and this story comes from several years ago of trying to follow these steps. Step two is to correct gently and privately, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But I was thinking back, so this story comes from several years ago, and it was a conflict I had with an individual, and I've changed his name. A fellow believer at a church, his name, uh, we're going to call him Tom. So at this, this church... I felt like I had initially a good relationship with Tom, but it deteriorated pretty, pretty quickly. Now, early on in my relationship with Tom, I did something that was worth correcting, that was worth rebuking, and he rebuked me, and I apologized. And if you ask me what it was about, I'm not going to tell you. But I apologized, but then he continued to treat me harshly. It was like forgiveness wasn't extended. But then I noticed that the harshness was just a continual pattern. It wasn't just with me, it was with others as well. 
And I didn't know about the, the four questions. I knew about the Matthew 18 passage. So I really wrestled with what to do. And honestly, I procrastinated. <laughs> I put it off. But that had the effect of me getting more and more resentful, more and more bitter, more and more wounded and hurt because I didn't go and deal with the issue. And after a couple months, I personally was ready to just leave the church. And that can happen, can it? If we don't deal with our conflict with our brothers and sisters, we just want to get out of there. But Lord, the Lord was gracious to me, and finally I went and had a conversation with him. And I, I explained to him, you know, like, I don't think you, like, like me. Like, what's going on here? And he, he admitted, like, this was not an intentional harshness. This is what, it was not an intentional sin towards me. And we were able to talk about it, and he apologized, and I forgave him. But our, our relationship was not, like, the best friendship after that. It's not really, like, one of those, like, beautiful, beautifully packaged stories. Uh, we eventually parted. I left that church for other reasons. But I share this because God doesn't say, you know, you're going to go through these steps and it's going to work out perfectly. He just calls us to, 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 to seek to honor him and to trust him as we go through these steps. To say, Lord, I'm going to try to handle this conflict, that, this, this issue with this person that you're thinking of. I'm going to try to handle it your way instead of my way instead of the way that I would naturally choose, because each and every one of us has a way that's natural. We just want to go in either fist swinging or we want to run away. And neither of those ways are God's way. God's way is to just deal with the, deal with the conflict, deal with the issue head on. And step two is just that, correct gently and privately. Now, the word correct I really don't like the NIV's translation where it says, go and point out their fault. Have you ever had someone do that to you? you kind of pointed out your fault, and you're like, oh, thanks, that felt good, right? <laughs> the NASB says it more clear, clearly. It says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. So the, the, the original language has this idea of help your brother or your sister see their sin. The, the image we got uh, I know a couple weeks ago, we talked about like the blind leading the blind. You're, 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 you're to, to help them open their eyes, but there's this image of, of a mirror to help them see their sin. What do you do when you look in a mirror and the lighting's good? Well, you kind of see yourself or who you are, and it's not always real pleasant. Sometimes it's great. Joe, it's always good when you look in the mirror, I bet. <laughs> but the... There's value in it, right? There's value in seeing our blemishes and seeing our sins so that we can honestly deal with them. The original inventor of the mirror, uh, so I was wondering, how did the modern mirror get made? In the 1800s, a man took a, a thin uh, like, uh, pane of glass and he poured metallic silver on it. And that's how we have our modern mirrors. Mirrors have been around for thousands of years, but only recently are they really clear and you can really see yourself. Metallic silver is in a mirror. There is value in seeing yourself clearly. There is worth. It's not always easy worth. Sometimes it's very painful, but God calls us to examine ourselves. The word show him comes from the Greek word rebuke. When I think of rebuke, I think of like criticize, like call someone out in public. 
The, and Jesus certainly did that in his ministry. But the way that he's using it here is not a criticism, it's a restoration. It's really a correction. You, you go and you talk to someone so that you can restore them to a good relationship with you and restore them to a good relationship with God. And we can see this from the immediate context. See, our, our passage in Matthew chapter 18 is like a sandwich. On the first half of our passage, there's a parable about a lost sheep. And Jesus uh, tells this parable and says, if you have 100 sheep and one of them goes missing, well, you're going to be a good shepherd and you're going to go after that one sheep that is missing. It's wonderful to seek that lost sheep. Jesus is highlighting the importance of restoration in that parable. And the second parable on the, on the other half, the other half of the sandwich, is about an unmerciful servant that is unwilling to forgive a small debt even though he has been forgiven a great debt. Once again, emphasizing the importance of forgiveness, of restoration. So we, we seek to correct gently. We seek to restore. The word gently comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1a. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So we're not to go in fist swinging. We're to go in relying on the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? We pray. We pray more than we talk. And we, we go in with a hard attitude that says, I'm not going into this conversation trying to get my way or trying to inflict the wounds that I have received. I am going to try to restore this relationship to bring healing. And maybe it will never be as good as it was. But in this life, I want both of us to taste a little bit of that gospel healing, that Christ-centered healing that I can experience, that we can all experience through the power of the Holy Spirit. If I've been forgiven, I want them to experience that forgiveness as well. And I want this relationship to glorify God. And privately, you know, Jesus says very clearly, this conversation is just to be between the two of you. It's not to be in a parking lot. <laughs> it's not to be a, a public shouting match. It's not to be in a committee meeting. It's to be individual, one-on-one. -on -one. Talk to them. So we correct gently and privately. Now, Lord willing, if you have this conversation, you pray and you go to this person, that's going to work. And that's going to be enough. But Jesus gives us further steps because Humans are humans, and we don't always listen to each other. We can't always hear each other well. So Jesus gives us another step. Step three, take one or two others along. He says, but if, you will not, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of one or two witnesses. Jesus is quoting the book of Deuteronomy right here. He is quoting Old Testament law about court cases. How someone, an individual can't just come in and kind of condemn another person. And this, this law was misused in, in Jesus' context. But I think the, the, the illustration of a courtroom is appropriate. So let's say the plaintiff is the one who initiates the conversation. So if you feel someone has sinned against you, you're the plaintiff. Well, Jesus says, go and get two or three other witnesses. 
So go and maybe it's just one other person. I think the, the idea of plurality is what matters. Now, in the Bible, a witness can be someone who saw it happen. So maybe someone who was standing there who has witnessed your conflict over and over again. Or a witness in the scriptures can be someone who knows the truth, who knows the truth of God, the truth of God's word. So who, who, can, who can speak God's truth into the situation. Now, we don't bring these witnesses as the plaintiff. The, the illustration breaks down because we don't want to treat them as the defendant, do we? The other people are coming to help, help bring clarity and humility, and it's a, it's a mutually beneficial thing. It's not just about them. It's also about you. They're, they're acting as arbiters and mediators. And one thing that kind of helps, one thing we should remember is that if this is a courtroom setting, God is the judge. I am not the judge. You are not the judge. God is. Christ is the judge. And before God, we're all guilty. And if this is your brother or your sister in Christ, you've received forgiveness by God, but they've also received forgiveness. And so just going into the conversation, knowing, yes, we're both guilty, but we're both forgiven, that helps us go in with the right heart attitude. Now, Lord willing, they'll listen. You can have a conversation and work it out. What if, but what if they don't listen? What if it still doesn't work? Well, step four, tell it to the church. I added the word elders here. Jesus says, if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. The word he uses here is the word ecclesia. This is amazing because that's the word for church. The church hasn't technically been established until Acts chapter 2 when it's very clearly established. But we see the church, the greater church, the, the believers even here, the people that are trusting Christ. Now, in other parts of the Bible, it talks about offices in the church. So I don't think that this means like during announcements you have to get up <laughs> and announce the issue of what's, what's going on in your life. I think take it to the leaders. The Bible gives you elders to help you wrestle with these things. And we're going to have elders here soon as part of Cornerstone as we go autonomous. And this will be a group of men that we can trust and that God has given this responsibility. And it's their job in a, in, a, in a real and frightening way, to, to image, to mirror the heavenly courtroom. This is why in the later verses it says, you know, where you know, if two or three are gathered, there I am in their presence. And what, what they bind on earth will be bound in heaven. See, it's our job as we, we come together, as the, as the elders come together, to reflect what God has already decided trying to speak the truth of God's word into the conflict. And it's amazing that God has provided a way for us to work through our conflict, to work through these difficult relationships with the church. He cares about it. But what if that doesn't work? Well, it says, you know, the elders, they can tell it to the church if they decide. It says you are to treat them as a pagan and a tax collector. So let's say this person is just unrepentant of the sin, clearly is a sin, and ultimately it's a sin against God. Well, step five, treat him as a non-believer, him or her. Now, it's tempting to just read this and say, okay, have nothing to do with them. Be done with them. Wash your hands like Pilate and walk away. 
But what do we know about Jesus and his ministry? <laughs> he spent time with tax collectors. In fact, he, he hung out with tax collectors more than he hung out with some of those righteous people. He would have those meals. And he was called out on people. People didn't like that he spent so much time with non-believers, with sinful people. You know who the author of the book of Matthew is? He's a tax collector. <laughs> he was a tax collector that Jesus came into his life and completely redeemed his life. And the rest of the story of the New Testament, we see the, uh, the pagans, the Gentiles, coming into the church. So in other words, we're to treat someone who's unrepentant of their sin just like someone who doesn't know Jesus, even if they think they do. Just keep reminding them, well, Jesus loves you. Repent. And they'll be like, well, I already know Jesus. Well, have you repented? Love them. Be patient with them. Now, in other parts of the New Testament, it does talk about, you know, putting a divisive believer outside of the church. So it does say to expel an unrepentant sinner. But let's leave that decision to the, to the elders and each one of us just focus on loving them like Christ does, like Christ loves the non-believer. This is a big process here. There are five steps. <laughs> you were thinking, well, I just, wanna, I just want the relationship to be good. I don't want this to suddenly turn into like a church discipline case. Where did, where did this come from? I thought we were having a, a series about conflict and peacemaking. Well, Jesus is really serious about peace, but he's serious about true peace. He's not serious about fake covered up peace. He really wants to deal with our sins because our sin is the root issue of what causes conflict. Jesus wants to address my sin in the conflict, and he wants to address your sin. And part of being a brother or a sister is trusting our big brother Christ and saying, you know what, I'm going to let him change me. I'm going to let him deal with my sin. My sin's gross. My sin's nasty. See, when we sin against each other, we're called to restore each other as Christ restores us. This is my big idea for this message. We're to love each other in the same way that Christ loves us. See, think of all the steps that Christ went through to restore us in our sin. He was patient. He was gentle, yet firm. He came from eternity past, entered into our world, and went all the way to the cross because our sins are gross. Instead of condemning us, he forgives us and he wants to give us new life. So you and I, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you know him, you're known by him. He has forgiven you and you have spiritual peace with God. And this is the motivating factor. It's not, we don't go through these steps because we're afraid of God. We go through these steps because we're grateful because we love Jesus and we love the great forgiveness that we have experienced and that we are not in conflict with God because we have experienced peace through Christ, that he took on the conflict on himself at the cross. And so let's approach each other in light of that, remembering how patient and kind Christ has been to us. In closing, I want us to think of that name one more time. That person that's on your heart, that's on your mind. How can you treat them like Christ has treated you? And how can you honor Christ by, by if they have a sin against 
you by going through these steps, but if you've sinned against them by humbling yourself and seeking reconciliation with them. I want us to each take 30 seconds here. We're going to pause and just bow your head and pray silently asking what God wants you to do. And then I'm going to close us in prayer, but let's go ahead and take those 30 seconds. Dear Jesus, we, we want to have a healthy relationship with this person that we're in conflict with. We know that you have given us ways to do that in your word. And it means humbling ourselves and doing it your way instead of our way. But God, we're so grateful, Father, that you sent your son and he humbled himself. He humbled himself first. He became a man and died in our places so that we can have eternal life. Lord, we want this relationship that feels dead to experience eternal life. Would you renew it? Lord, we lift up this name to you. It's in your hands. I pray for the offering. Would you bless it? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.